Welcome to another edition of AK Corner brought to you by Pioneer Arms. This is episode four. All right, guys, we're back. And that's our good buddy Schwell with the intro there. Welcome in, Schwell. Hey, what's going on, everyone? All right, so this is the long-anticipated episode four, or part four. I know we, we call them episodes or parts. I think parts are better. Of the Talking Lead AK Corner presented by Pioneer Arms Corps. Uh, make sure you guys checked out last month's episode where we had David Fortier, uh, and he was just a wealth of knowledge on ballistics, uh, among other things. I mean, he's a great historian as well. He was bringing some some facts from history in with the, the conversation last week. Uh, so I think we'll probably well get, get David on again in a later episode because he's still got a lot more information. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't scratch the surface last month. Oh, no, he was... I mean, we were still talking to him, you know, probably an hour after we got done. <laughs> he just he just kept on and kept on and kept on. So, uh, great episode, part three. We talked ballistics. Prior to that, we had Vince Buckles on, and we talked the parts. We dissected the AK-47 to get familiar with the, the working components of this awesome rifle. And then our first episode, we kicked it off with the history. And we just kind of did, uh, you know, a... a touched on the history, the, the highlights of the history. So as we're going through this series, our 12-part series, we're bringing a little more history, a little more knowledge from our, our guest experts. And uh, this week, joining us, we've got C.J. Johnson with Pioneer Arms for USA. Welcome in, C.J. Hey, welcome, guys. Glad to be here. Marco, nice beard, buddy. <laughs> so, so CJ's grabbing a sandwich real quick. Um, he, as he just mentioned, uh, we have a very special guest this week, and you guys have heard me mention it on social media. Uh, we've done some posts uh, announcing who our guest is this episode, and it is none other than Marco Vorobiv. All right, all right. Nice to be here. Thank you for the invite. Welcome in, Marco. And Marco is uh, former Soviet uh, Spetsnaz. Did I say that right? Spetsnaz? Yeah, yeah, you got it right. Almost without the accent, so. Almost. <laughs> that southern accent, I mean, it's hard to. No, you, you'll pass for like a Baltic state guy, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, author uh, and uh, firearms trainer, among other things that are under his belt. It's a pleasure to have you in, Marco. And I can't tell you, I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. I know we tried to get you on a little bit earlier, but schedule conflicts. But we got you on now, and we're going to pick your brain, buddy. Sure. I, ho I hope there's something to pick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's so. Like with uh, with at least two, um, two books and you've... You've done countless articles. Uh, talk about your books. Um. Yeah, uh, yeah. my uh, second book that's called um, AK-47, uh, Survival and Evolution of the World's Most Prolific Rifle, came out uh, on July 10th, I believe, this summer. Mm -hmm. And uh, prior to that, I uh, penned a book out of um, Gun Digest series. It's called The Shooter's Guide to an AK. Mm-hmm. Though the first book was more of a practical guide, starting from a um, little bit of history, describing how the rifle operates, uh, basically how you handle the rifle to a point where how do you aim it, how you carry it, how you maintain it, clean it, uh, how you uh, clear the um, malfunctions. 
and uh, to the point of how you can accessorize it uh, and turn it into a little bit more modern uh, carbine. Yeah. Hey, Whereas, Marco. Yes, sir. Hey, quick question. Hey, uh, what kind of cleaning tool did they give you guys anyway to, to uh, clean the AKs? Well, I mean, uh, it, it was issued standard with the tools already on the gun, which is the, uh, as you know, on the barrel, there is um, a cleaning rod. And then in the buttstock, uh, for non-folding guns, there was a little compartment with the um, container containing the, uh, you know, the brushes, the punches, the uh, the swabbing mm. slotted tips and stuff. So they had a little and kit then, for you? The little kit, right? And those who had the folding stocks, they uh, those kits were in the uh, inside of the mag pouch that was issued with the gun. Also, <laughs> interesting thing: if you would read the actual manual for the gun, right? Uh, um, like a AK, for the lack of a better description, it would be like the AK user's guide, the official Soviet user's guide. There's constantly referrals to a small wooden sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's these two devices i can actually show them to you i have them uh, here handy if you want to see them but uh they expected you to whittle them out of the wood you know <laughs> in the field with the little knife or whatever the sharp object you had and and use it to clean uh to clean the gun but in reality i mean all the tools you needed were already provided and i also there's a there's a thing, you know, you, you go on uh, social media, you go somewhere on the interweb and uh, the people are saying, oh, you got to like uh, fill up the bathtub with ballistol or, or some kind of freaking windshield washer fluid or, <laughs> or like Afghans dipped it in the diesel fuel. Well, you know, the, the Afghans uh, would sell that freaking diesel fuel faster than you can dip the gun in it. And this, <laughs> so... In reality, all the tools that you need to clean a gun were came on the gun or, or God attached to you in the ways of the hands and the fingers. <laughs> so that's that, that's all you needed to do. So um, also, apart from the kit, uh, you were issued the little bottle which you carried the little oil in it. Uh, earlier model had the solvent and oil. Um, uh, that that Is was that a bomb. I don't, <laughs> no, no. Although it looks like it, I actually. Let me break off for about a minute, okay. and I'll be right. Not less than a minute. I'll be right back. All right. Okay, that Just sounds sec. good. Just so, so Just Marco's sec. going to take a break, uh, and while he's gone, we want to uh, thank our sponsor, Pioneer Arms Corp. And uh, CJ is the I'm the vice president of the company overall, and I'm the actual director for all US. So any of the guns that get exported through the U.S. or anything else, I deal with all of those. And I also work on a lot of military contracts that we got as a liaison, actually, with a couple of foreign countries. Hey, uh, interesting news about Pioneer Arms. For all yes. you guys that like the PM-63. Sorry about that. I'm back. That, uh, that you got to shoot when you're, like, in uh, War Vegas and stuff or Machine Gun Shoot Vegas. They have one out there. We actually have the PM-63s coming in for sale. Uh, if you want to do a little research on them, there was only about 80,000 made, and they were used pretty much in, um, well, they were used in Afghanistan, anywhere that they could be exported and bought. They were used in Vietnam. So it's a, basically a, a, a 9 by 18 so it shoots a Makarov round pistol that's in full automatic. Now, it's got a little uh, front grip that comes down on it, a little sliding handle, but we've had to adjust those to be able to bring them into the U.S. market. 
So what we've done is, is we've made them semi-automatic and we're bringing them into the market. Now, there's only 1,500 of those guns that have not been used. They were made by our company um, that we have. We, we made all 80,000 of them. There's 1,500 that was left that we, were, we found in a warehouse uh, that we had when we were doing inventory. And uh, we've got those and we've converted them to semi-automatic. They're coming into the States and they'll be the only 1,500 that you can purchase, period. Uh-huh. Um, all how do they how do they go purchase these? Well, uh, you're going to be able to get them through Classic Arms. Um, they're our partner right now, so Classic Firearms. You'll be able to get with them and, and get them from them. Um, they're going to be brought in in, in um, batches of about thirty uh, per month, if that. And um, you know, I, I misspoke. I said there's there's fifteen hundred that we have. Uh-huh. Uh, right now, we only have a thousand that we were able to convert because we have to negotiate with the military to buy them back because they were all sold to the military. So we have a thousand right now that we we've converted that's coming back. They'll be on the market. Or actually, David Fortier, uh, our good friend, will have one in about two weeks that he'll start doing reviews and stuff on with that. But you're going to be able to get them at uh, you're going to be able to get them at Classic Firearms, and there's there's a good possibility that maybe uh, maybe the old leadheads might get a chance to get a free one. Uh oh, can't can't say so yet, but uh, these guns are going to be extremely. Chance. It's uh, it's a pretty close, pretty good chance. I, I know a guy. <laughs> but, uh, okay. But you got you got to look at these guns that uh, you know they're they are true collectors. Um, you know, so oh, that's, that's yeah. it. So there's there's only fifteen hundred. They're I'm I'm surprised they're not already all spoken for. So uh, is there is there a place where they can? Is there a website that they go to classic firearms and do like a put their name on a list or anything? They Call can them? they can con. They can contact Classic Firearms, and they can put their name on the list now with Classic Firearms. Now, remember, there's there's 30. We only have 30 coming in um, probably this year. So they can go to Classic Firearms and, and put their name on the list, and Classic Firearms will have them in, you know, the next 30 to 45 days. They'll, they'll have some to sell. There you go, guys. Uh, definitely something that uh, you historians and you collectors want to get on that list for. So uh, Pioneer Arms Corps. Thank you so much for supporting the Talking Lead AK Corner, bringing you 12 episodes of nothing but AK Talk with Schwell, myself, and CJ from time to time when we can get him and our guest experts. And like we were talking earlier, we've got Marco. Marco joining us. He's former Soviet Spetsnaz. He's an author. Uh, he also does a little training, too, well, available. Well, real quick, you miss a you miss a couple things about uh, about Marco. Marco's just not a uh, former Spetsnaz. Marco is a combat wounded, um, so he's actually went there, done it, played the game. You know, he's got the medal and the wounds to show it. This is the, uh, you know, don't don't get your head too big to be able to get in the uh, the headphones <laughs> there, Marco. But Marco is the real deal. You know, he's he's one of the guys that went out there and actually did this as a young man, and he's. He's kept the stuff up and everything else, you know. He's he's one of the guys. If you had to wade through buzz, uh, you know, buzz saws, and you only had a switch, you'd follow him. Yeah, he's that type of guy. So he's he's the real deal, guys. Well, Marco, we're gonna we're gonna let you talk as much as you want to about your background uh, as far as that goes. But CJ will poke and prod. Trust me. <laughs> I know. Thank you, CJ, for the uh, uh, introduction and stuff. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I. Um, as just millions of uh, Soviet youth uh, was drafted 
into a military service. And because I um, actually had a couple years of college degree, uh, well, college education behind my uh, behind my back, so to speak, behind my shoulders. And I was a student athlete, uh, practicing uh, practitioner of sambo and judo at the time. Uh, I guess that's why I uh, was selected. But, um, but the, you know, selection process was kind of funny. I was going to ask you about that. Can you talk about how that works? Uh, I, I have no idea how it works, quite honestly, because we had the volleyball players. Uh, we had um, gymnasts. We had uh, the guys with all kinds of uh, athletic backgrounds in the, in, the, in the background, as well as just a, a lot of uh, – we also had some transferees from uh, other units. It's like from uh, – um, we even had a guy from artillery being transferred, and uh, they usually school balls, but um, <laughs> kind of, kind of independent thinkers and stuff. But once they get in the um, the environment that they were in, where um, the officers were, the authority of an officer was absolute, and um, they uh, really uh, tune down their uh, antics, I guess, and fall in uh, into a regular no horse playing going on when they were around, huh? No, because, you know, you operate in a small unit and, uh, every, you know, you gotta have every capable, um, able body there, uh, performing a certain uh, function. You know, it's sort of like a, you lose a guy, you pretty much, it's like an infantry setting. You lose a squad, let's say. Yeah. I mean, obviously in the, on the down, you know, downtime, you know, people pranked each other oh, and sure, stuff yeah. and, and, and the usual shit. But so do they, but, their selection process is that, is that right out of school? They start their, for the, no, and no, it may be different now, but when you were there, how did that work? No, it's uh, really, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a cattle, uh, uh, market, so to speak, you know, in Ablin, Kansas years back, you know, when you basically gathered at, at the, uh, the draft board facility, they're like a compound and then, uh, a buyers, you know, in quotes from different units come in and, uh, they basically put in what they need. Mm-hmm. And I go through paperwork and see if these guys will be a, a regular, like a cannon fodder, or uh, these guys will go to some uh, elite units or some specialty units right. or so on. So, obviously, so. your athletic background helped play a big part in being selected for the special forces. <laughs> well, uh, I, I actually volunteered and insisted on um, uh, going to the airborne unit first. And the reason, and that's kind of a funny story because. Um, once you turn 13 in the Soviet Union, you would your ass belongs to the state pretty much. So every year you get you have to go to the medical examination by the draft board, whether they do it in school or they actually send you to the to the uh, polyclinic or something like that. And sometimes they'll bring you right to the the actual uh, draft board compound, and then uh, what they call the military commissariat, and. Um, and I remember when I was going to, and of course at that time I was like a, uh, regional, uh, one of several regional tournaments and stuff was in the top physical shape. And all of a sudden I, uh, get to, uh, the dentist's office, right? And they measured my, uh, <laughs> overbite, overbite, man. And, uh, and they go, no, it's the one millimeter too freaking, uh, <laughs> much for, for airborne, for any kind of elite. And I was like, what? You know, because uh, to me, my brother served in the airborne, um, and, uh, when, you know, and so for me, it was so they were no, that selective where they, they knock you out because of an overbite? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Gosh. They would, they, they would not take. Uh, they would. You would not serve me as flat feet, for example. You would not serve. Period. I mean, you'll be decommissioned before you even. Wow. You know, and they were really very selective. So very uh, yeah, selective, they, yeah, and so I, uh, you know, spoke to my mom. My mom at the time was like a inspector for uh, for the the Department of Health and Medicine or whatever in the regional area there. And uh, we went to a dental clinic, and they put the braces on me <laughs> to to <laughs> to fix the overbite. And uh, I, I don't remember how long it was, probably. But so my senior year in high school. I was over there with the grill, you know, grill across my <laughs> right. the, the mouth and stuff. And um, but it did fix the problem. So on the subsequent uh, medical uh, checkup, my overbite was fixed. And uh, right, so it, they would uh, take you with correction. Was, you could correct your <laughs> overbite, and they'll reconsider you. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, that's where I got drafted. Went to um, training center, and there was no. Uh, illusions as to where we will be going after we're done with our basic training. And mm -hmm. It was in Fergana, Uzbekistan. Um, and then after uh, just short of uh, basic training, me and seven other people uh, were called in and uh, loaded up in the, in the truck and took a, a couple hours, well, uh, pretty long. I don't remember how long it was, but uh, it took us uh, what they call a mountain training center in a little town called Chirchik. Mm. in Uzbekistan and uh, although he didn't have any mountains he had like hills and stuff <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah so it took us over there and that's where we commenced our training afterwards and then uh, and then dispatched over the river they call it yeah and how many years did you serve I served a little over two years in total just like a two years and sure. two or three weeks, change. just a little, yeah. long, right. But not all of it was in, uh, you know, in a hostile environment, only 16 months or so. Yeah. And how long was the training to get into the unit? About three months. Three so. months. Yeah. Right. I bet it was brutal. Oh, I mean, when, when you're 18, 19 years old. I was that you, once. <laughs> right. You you don't. I mean, obviously you complain. Yeah, you you always you complain about the suckages uh, of life, and uh, you know being torn away from uh, your uh, familiar environment, like your mom and dad's a house and stuff from mm -hmm. your school. And then uh, you know, obviously people trying to adopt to the to that thing is you know you, you look at it as um, you know something negative, but in, in reality, I remember. When I, my first night in the in the uh, military, I think our uh, rise and shine call was about six o'clock, and I was already awake by like five forty-five. I was just laying there and kind of like waiting. Come on, come on, come on! When anxious, <laughs> when is the call? Anxious, when is that you? Right. <laughs> so I kind of maybe uh, I took it, and again, uh, you know, uh, physical training and the sports background kind of helps you in that regard, but. Uh, yeah, so I took it as an adventure, something like a new skill I would learn today. Like I couldn't wait to go to the range, for example. Mm -hmm. I also found out that um, I wasn't as physically prepared as I thought <laughs> I'd be. Like uh, you know, like do uh, like push-ups and stuff. And I mean, push-ups is one thing, but like pull-ups and some other stuff on the crossbar. Uh, it, with with the heavy boots, it's like a different story than doing it in like a sneakers or something yeah. uh, or. Oh, the wrestling shoes. Now, do you remember how much you weighed when you went in? 
Yeah, I think I was like 78 kilos or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, when I, you came out, what'd you weigh? Uh, well, I, I probably weigh about the same. About same, but you just <laughs> yeah. converted all that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it's no. I mean, because I kind of went through a high um, high intensity um, physical exercise environment into high intensity physical exercise environment. Sure. So, well, Marco, I think the, I think that you were like uh, you were like a world class. Uh, you know, mars martial arts like you were you were like right up there at the Olympic level, weren't you? Okay, so I wouldn't call world class. I mean, I, and we need to <laughs> we need to <laughs> tone it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, ground me down a little bit. Um, I was uh, um, I certainly went on several international tournaments uh, representing the country, but the very minor tournaments. Um, I was part of the what they call the Olympic Reserve Program. Uh, but uh, nowhere near uh, to uh, in the sambo, which was my main discipline, uh, was not an Olympic sport. At the, at the, well, it's still not it, not an Olympic sport. By uh, I don't know why why not. You know, it's a mystery to me why it's not an Olympic. It's a you know it's a spectator sport. It's a, it's a, it's by far better than judo. So as far as I'm concerned, it's by far better than uh, either uh, freestyle or Greek or Roman wrestling. Uh, anyway, so it was my main discipline, and and uh, judo was my second uh, kind of you know second byproduct of that. Mm -hmm. And there were people that were just unreal as far as like at the level where they would represent the country in the world championships or or the olympics and stuff so yeah. and uh, now when you're in the well, in your training do they teach you the, the people who don't know the martial arts i mean you probably had a leg up with with your training and that background going into it i did and uh when you practice sambo uh once a week you would you would practice what they call a combat sambo which were not at the time in the Soviet Union, there were no official uh, tournaments or competitions in competition in the uh, combat sambo. However, however, combat sambo techniques were taught to us once a week. So usually it was Saturday practice, where with the punching bags, with the, some of the boxing techniques, some of the kicks, and so on and so on. However, uh, uh, in the uh, in the Soviet military hand-to-hand um, uh, -hand combat. Uh, system they use the sambo a lot like airborne use a lot of karate techniques and uh and spetsnaz they use especially uh uh you know they use stuff against uh, uh things like to work with the knife and other other things mm -hmm. other things that Close you can combat use. things yeah that's right the, you know your, your your gun the pistol the freaking shovel <laughs> so <laughs> you know and uh uh, you know, also, there was at one point there was a different uh, type of system developed to teach the officers and some of the essential personnel uh, with hand-to-hand -hand combat, and it was called Sistema. And that's uh, more like it's um, basically it's geared towards uh, disarming or nullifying, I guess, mm -hmm. your uh, an opponent as fast as possible using the uh, the physical moves that base on the physics and principles of physics. Mm -hmm you know, leverage and uh, radial motions and things like that. So so that's a close quarter battle technique to disarm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Take away and, and Exactly. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. It basically disrupt the uh, opponent's plan. Now, what was your, yeah. what was your, yeah, what was your specialty? I was originally a sniper. Okay. I, I uh, yeah, and that, that happened kind of, 
weird. It was the very first, uh, it wasn't like a, you know, they looked at you and then they say, oh, you look like a sniper to me. So here, here's your SVD and you go, no. I just happens that uh, I scored really high on the, our first first trip to the range um, while still greenhorns and in, in, um, in Fergana um, at the Airborne Training Center. Um, and I shot ex- exceptionally well with AK-74, which was, you know, not I'm not a great I'm not the greatest shot in the world. There's no doubt about it. It, it just uh, I use the basic principles of uh, um, uh, marksmanship, marksmanship that was, mm-hmm. yeah that taught was taught to me by my father early on, um, and uh, I scored like twenty seven out of uh, thirty maximum uh, on the semi automatic fire, and then I dropped with the six rounds. I dropped three targets at the full automatic fire, and then. Uh, captain who was in charge of our company he was just it so happens he was behind me when i did this and and uh right place at the right time right right Mm -hmm. and uh, he basically told the uh, warrant officer in charge of uh, i guess the uh, the shooting exercise there at the range he says go try him out in the svd (laughs) and i i you know to me, it was something like from uh, I never seen one. You know, it's uh, it kind of had it's like futuristic. Uh, well, back yeah, then. especially a scope. If you look at, if you never seen SVD scope, it's something like it looked like a freaking microscope or something. It's it's got that industrial kind of look to it, and uh, you got yeah. the wires sticking out, the switch and stuff, and and uh, I remember looking through it for the first time and. Um, trying to eliminate the, you know, get rid of the, the half moons and stuff and just to get the clear picture. And once I got the clear picture, they asked me if I see, uh, if I see a radical and I <laughs> couldn't. And if you look to SVD scope, the, the radical there is really, really fine. Yeah. You know, so you kind of got to kind of expect to look for it and you'll find it no problem. But when you don't know what you're looking at, it takes you a while. And then, um, so I finally found it (laughs) (laughs) and then, um, told me to go ahead and uh, work on the targets and stuff. And I was just knocking them. It was, it was really easy. Uh, and what range were you when they were testing you at that? I think we had it like, uh, uh, from 200 to 450 or something like that meters. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was, it was not, uh, it it wasn't even a challenge for you. You're, you're knocking it down. So you talked about shooting with your father. Um, what age were you when you first shot your firearm? Uh, well, uh, okay. So my first firearm I shot when I was about maybe 12, Mm -hmm. but I shot a gun at the target, which is, uh, you know, like air pellet, the competition style air rifles, Mm -hmm. uh, from, from age five, probably, or, or it's as far as I remember. As long as I remember, my father took me and my uh, my brother on the weekend to a local market and to this little shooting gallery that they had there. Um, and for like a penny, so you could buy those pellets uh-huh. and the German air rifles that you break down, you know, and you put the pellet in. And oh, man. Those are co- Do you still have that? No, no. I never, no, I never owned one. Oh, man, that would be cool if you still had those. Oh, yeah. And then uh, there was one lane that actually shot at the targets. And, and like a four or five or, I don't know, maybe more uh, lanes, firing lanes that were shooting at the little, 
like a movable or reactive targets when you hit it something will spin and uh so there were some reactive targets you know like uh-huh. uh, you hit something and then the, it'll, it'll fall or it'll spin and there was also a little uh, moving targets and stuff so it was a, once i grew up it was a lot of only a lot of fun of, to, to of, shoot at those things what part of russia did you grow up in i grew up in the uh, urals in the south uh foothills of uh, southern urals in the city of orenburg did uh, called, was there uh, hunting there? Did you guys hunt for your, your food? No, my my did my da- uh, my dad of course growing up in the um, um, in the area that was devastated by war and uh, during the World War Two, he actually hunted for food in the like this deep Murom forests. Yeah. In the Vladimir uh, region there, north of Moscow, so he had to do it from uh, early age and, uh, and stuff. So he had affinity with with the firearms, and he would always tell me about things. and And he would be the one who was uh, who was instilling the good kind of good habits as far as like uh, um, the the marksmanship habits, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, hold your breath and. And let it out, and Take you know, time. you're supposed to, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, have a good, clear picture, and so on, so on. So it was easy for me to, and, and then you know, believe it or not, every uh, school in Soviet Union at the time, well, maybe most of the schools of the Soviet Union in in Soviet Union at the time had armories in it, <laughs> and, and right. some and some had the rifle ranges in the basements. Certainly, our school did. Yeah, and, and uh, so it was all like twice a year we would go and we would shoot the twenty-two rifles again, competition, single shot kind of bolt action. These German rifles. Uh, and uh, when I got older in my like uh, high school years and even uh, upperclassman middle school, I would organize those things. You know, I would get the guy corner the guy who's responsible for. It. He usually taught like a, a beginner's um, preparation. Mm. A class, I would corner him. So they hey, let's 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 organize the shooting. Let's do, let's go shoot. And he would organize it. He would, we would go and maybe shoot like once a month or something like that. So yeah, so you've always had a, an affinity for for firearms, even at a early yeah age. yeah yeah. What kind of I mean, what kind of rifles or guns did you were you guys allowed to own in the Soviet Union at that time? You could okay. So I uh, I mean the the um, the firearm laws. Um, um, pretty much the, the pretty much the same what they are right now, but slightly modified. Of course, there's a variety of uh, yeah. uh, of guns available now that there wasn't available uh, at that time. But but uh, people did own the shotguns and they owned uh, rifles. Now with the pistols was a different story. It was complete no no. But um, uh, okay. uh, so so as far as so you had to join some kind of hunting club. And um, had to have a justification for your rifle. for you, right? Well, first you buy a shotgun. Then after five years owning the shotgun, you can apply for a license to purchase a rifle. Oh wow! Okay. So that's the that's the and I think it is still the same way in Russia. Hence the uh, w- widespread of this new uh, caliber, it's called three sixty six TCM or something like that, or uh, Lancaster. It's something like a. It's a. We need to talk uh, about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a smooth bore gun that that mimics the ballistics up to to three hundred meters or so of of a regular rifle mm-hmm. rifle cartridge, and uh, so now people that couldn't 
immediately buy a rifle, for example, right? So they had to buy a shotgun first, and then wait. Now they can buy the same kind of rifles, just a uh, in that weird caliber. Mm-hmm. What's that comparative to? I mean, you know, I mean, they built. Uh, it's probably more like, um, you know, how in Europe, uh, you your hunting guns supposed to have. Uh, um, ballistics up to 300 meters and mm-hmm. after that it should just drop and stuff it's kind of the same way so up to 300 it's it's comparable to um 762 by 39 okay cartridge yeah. or 762 by 54r so there's two there's a, a 366 tcm and and uh but these aren't semi-autos right they're bolts yeah yeah, you can do it. They got them. They got you AKs can... in those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So civilians can own semi-autos there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Nice. Absolutely. They call them Segas, but they they Segas. more AKs. Yeah, they more AKs than the Segas we get here. Gotcha. I mean, they they pretty much just uh you know they take the auto sear out and rebarrel them for that cartridge or or just leave them in the regular caliber yeah. and they they call it a sega mk or something like that and and then uh, it's pretty much a semi-automatic ak that used to be full auto gotcha let's uh let's take some questions from our listeners now let's go to facebook and uh i'll just take this first one it's from uh, pierce t he's one of our top fans uh he says if he is able to talk about it what kind of training did he receive with the ak that would not have been possible with a different weapon system. And he says, for example, I remember seeing a video a few years describing Russian training with AKs that discussed things like using the slings to restrain the enemy, uh, doing push-ups, blah, blah, blah. So um, anything unique as far as training with an AK, um, different than any other rifle platform? Nothing, nothing, no. Yeah. I mean, the idea was um, uh, the gun is just a tool in your toolbox. I mean, just like the knife, just like a, if you carry a sidearm, mm-hmm. just like a, uh, your hands, you know, things like that. And the explosives that you carry in your backpack. I mean, it was just a tool in, in your... Uh, um, uh, they wanted to maximize in, how to use it. They te- taught and, you every it, aspect it, of it. Right, but but there was also uh, cross training, and uh, like everyone in my unit could shoot an SVD. Everyone could shoot the PKM. Everybody could strip it apart. Either one of those guns. Um, most of the guys were uh, trained on the NSV gun and the AGS uh, grenade launchers and stuff like that. So it was it was more treated like it, it was at the time it was unfathomable uh, or unimaginable. Uh, to have anything else other than AK, and and uh, and of course uh, they change you in every little aspect of that gun, but mm-hmm. not not from the point of view that this gun is specific for this particular thing. No, and it's more of like a, you know this gun shoots bullets, just like every <laughs> every shoots other bullets. gun shoots bullets. Well, it gets into your and, close and, quarter and combat you, too, like he was talking about with the the straps, and it's using every part of your your kit and being able to have more than one use for for that piece of kit. Obviously, in the basic training, they'll teach you how to use a sling as a support support for a gun when you uh-huh. shoot. So then, specific- I think probably I think probably on Marty, some of those videos he's talking about is is we have like in America, we have a lot of different 
uh, different training groups are coming to come up with a, a a new way to roll the wheel around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's I think that's some of the, maybe some of the Russian uh, instructors and stuff that they have, and and Russia does have a large field of instructors now. For instance, there's medical classes that they have, trauma classes that you can go to, marksmanship classes and stuff. A lot of that's opened up compared to how it used to be, where they have the same type of classes that we have here in the U.S. It's just versioned off the AK model that they have. You know, and their instructors are going to have different techniques on ways that they figured out how to make this work or that work. And that's probably some of the videos that he's looking at. But, uh, you know, they're, I'm sure their military training is standardized, just like our military training is, uh, as far as it goes. I mean, you know, the, the unique way for them to um, carve out a, a piece of wood to use as a cleaning device, you know, is, it was just a way for them to be able to do yeah. something better. Where, where we went out and spent, you know, millions of dollars to develop different cleaning stuff, you know, they just used a stick. Um, you know, the, the sort of the smarter way, sort of like you go well, back it's to going to teach you to use stuff you find in the field that way. And, you know? So when you it, lose your it, kit. It, right. And, and then another thing, it's like often, uh, you say, no, oh, your, your gear sucks because it doesn't have a zipper. It's got toggles. Uh-huh. Well, you, you break a freaking zipper in the field. You, you pretty much screwed, you know, your piece of gear is useless. Yeah. You, you tear a toggle off, you pick up a piece of wood and, you know, whittle it with the knife and then when you touch it back to your gear and, and you're ready to go. It's kind of the same. It's it's sort of like a space pencil type of argument. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, but the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, sling, the AK sling is nothing, uh, you know, it looks simple. It's, um, you know, sort of like a, you know, there's a little carabiner and stuff, but that thing is, uh, is actually a very good as far as if you know how to use it. You can use it for stabilizing uh, um, your rifle for longer shots, for example. And you can also do it a uh, single point of con, you know, single point attachment sling, which is really comfortable, and so on and so on. But ever using it to restrain a prisoner was just a no. You you just you always had a some kind of rope or a piece of wire or something like that that right. you used to or use their um, you know the the headdress. Yeah, also <laughs> usually dre- used for restraining the mooch. Okay, you know, un- unwind the turban. And here's a here's a question from top fan Chuck S. He's number one, uh, number one leadhead. He's got two questions. It says, "What is the most unusual failure ever witnessed or heard of, and what was the most unusual fix of a failure?" In the AK. Yeah, in your experience, yeah, with with the AK. Or the SVD, uh, whichever. Um, I don't recall with the SVD. I'm going to say it right away. Not one. Uh, with AKs, the most unusual would be probably the empty casing making its way behind uh, um, um, bolt carrier. Uh-huh. And then just being hammered in there into oh, the, yeah. the rear ch- chunion and stuff. And when somebody and the fun and the gun would be functioning fine but then you would open up for cleaning and there's this like a perfectly uh stamped into the bit <laughs> into a reassuring casing yeah, yeah uh spent casing um to say that ak does not have uh doesn't fail it's not true it has four major uh failings usually attributed to uh feeding problems or like a a poor magazine condition or something like that and it's usual thing it's um failure to extract 
uh, stove piping, mm-hmm. uh, the bullet, the, the double feed, um, and one other one I forgot, but it's they all cleared by the same way. You detach the magazine and rack it a few times and see if it, you clear it this way. If not, they pop the top cover and look inside and see if it's actually, you know, poke your finger or something in it to get the, the casing loose. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. So there's no tool or anything that's required. If the gun is properly assembled, that is, if it's a, a properly made gun. One of the things, one of the common things that I've seen in Iraq was because they did the wrong chamber size when, when Saddam was making his own AKs, so it would rip the head stamp off and leave the rest of the casing inside of the chamber. And, yeah, then, they, and then they would try to drive another round on top of that one. So it was kind of like a double feed, but you had these, you had the case is like a double cased round shoved into this chamber and they were next impossible to get out. You almost had to destroy the gun to get it cleared. Believe it or not, it, hap- it happened to me once in my civilian life, um, uh, about maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, with a case not uh, properly assembled uh, AK-74, and it was done on camera while we were shooting the uh, guns on TV. So the gun looked brand new gun, it fired once, <laughs> and we couldn't get the casing out. I oh, mean, it damn. just... Well, and the the problem there usually goes to the the wrong or um, uh, dimensions of a chamber, and uh, having the casing ex- expand uh, and basically expand so much in it that kind of almost kind of welds itself to the, the side, you know, the walls of the chamber. But uh, like I said, I made the little comment. I said that uh, properly functioning AK, <laughs> so properly assembled <laughs> AK. Yeah, so usually- that's relevant. So here's one from Jacob R. And we got a couple other people that are asking the same thing. Um, it's kind of tie them all in together. Uh, do you prefer wood or plastic on the furniture? And what are your top accessories that you like to run with on your AK? Um, all right. Uh, good question. I, I, I love it because it's it's kind of a um, uh, 180 story for me. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, plastic. And the reason for plastic, a fan being the plastic, is because it's, uh, it's easier to produce. It's easier to manipulate. Uh, in some cases, it's lighter. It's not susceptible to damage and stuff and the wear and tear that the wood otherwise is. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, as far as uh, like a handguards are concerned, I remember when they first started getting out, getting a case like back in the '90s or whatever, with the people would install the vertical grip, and I would like saying, "Oh my God, you know, it's a stupid thing to do." You know, I mean, why you got this nice, you know, uh, swale that you can uh, hold the AK with and be perfectly good. And uh, and now I'm like a big fan of that, (laughs) the vertical grip, actually. (laughs) So so I went 180. And um, uh, as far as the aluminum handguards are concerned, I mean, mean, uh, it's... um, um, my second best, but the plastic, uh, probably, uh, I'm a more leaning towards plastic, of course. Okay. And, 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 uh, wood would be Just for the uh, versatility it, of the, the plastic and the, the lightweight. Exactly. Yeah. E- exactly. 
So yeah, I was, and then um, I'm, I'm more for pra practical point of yeah. uh, yeah, for looking from practical point of view. You're talking about the aluminum handguards. I was um, at the range yesterday with a company called Occam Defense, and they've just come out with a new handguard. They call it the Merc. Have you seen that yet? Oh, not yet. Not yet. Uh, very, very nice um, accessory uh, as far as handguards go. It's got the full top rail on it, mm -hmm. extremely lightweight. It's got a heat dissipator. Uh, heat shield underneath it so it uh it's it did a really good job for what we shot uh, as far as dissipating the heat it didn't get too hot i mean it got warm but mm. uh, oh uh there was a second uh um part of that question by the way he's yeah. asking what uh Your accessory my yeah. favorite accessory i would say some aiming device like um uh one to four i mean my favorite obviously would be the elcon the specter one to four spectroscope. Okay. I think it's like a, the greatest uh, implement ever uh, devised for like AK-74 platform. Um, and what is it called again? Uh, it's an Elcon. Elcon. Elcon okay. Spectre. It's one to one four. To four. It's a very expensive thing. And it costs probably four, uh, you know, more than four AKs. But uh, <laughs> if somebody could somehow get one, uh, I mean, that's uh, AK-74 would match it. Is magically. it IR capable and all that? Oh yeah, um, I think so. I think it's got the um, it's got the um, uh, night vision two settings. Okay, for night vision. If I'm not mistaken. Gotcha. So, what about uh, you running? You run suppressors uh, on the AK. We did run suppressors on AK. So look, this is also kind of addresses the uh, the myth that's kind of floating around there. Um, okay. Now it's time for the talking lead. Back to fight the myths. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, the myth sounds something like this. Uh, Russian soldiers uh, in Afghanistan prefer to use... AKMs and 762 by 39 every chance they get they'll drop their AK 74s to pick up the uh, uh, 762 gun uh -huh. and that's total bullshit first of all you don't <laughs> oh pardon my oh can I say yeah you like can that? you can say shit yeah you can say that all as right, long well, as CJ's okay with it <laughs> it's total total pu puppycock <laughs> so, so, oh that's <laughs> good that should stay Poppycock. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, in the Soviet military, you don't just drop a gun and pick up another one. You know, I mean, your your uh, your personal weapon number is written into your military ID. Yeah. You're responsible <laughs> you for that. Your, you're responsible for that particular gun with that serial number. So uh, that's one thing. The other thing in the Spence NAS and reconnaissance units uh, did use AKMs or AKMSs, the folders. And the reason for use of a 30 caliber gun was because of the um, so because of the PBS1 suppressor that was designed for that gun to uh, use um, uh, for use um, you know on raids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was no suppressor that. Of course, that would be a, a ridiculous trend to suppress uh, uh, 505 high-velocity round. So, yeah, they use the AKMs, the, the 30 caliber guns as their personal weapons, but mostly geared towards the use of a PBS, uh, PBS-1 suppressor. And we used it in our unit a lot. And we, we also had a several uh, sidearms that were also uh, suppressor-capable. 
we had um, PB, which is uh, like a macro-based, but uh, internally um, permanently suppressed type of gun uh, for close um, engagements. So it was and an then, integrally suppressed? Yep, yep. Okay. Nice. And then the, and the other one was APB, which is based on Stishkin, which was fully automatic pistol, which was large and had a long can. What, that came what with caliber was that? In macro, nine millimeter macro. Gotcha. So, uh, so we used all three items, and uh, uh, you know, in operations we went on. All right. So that's uh, Marco's answer on the accessory. He likes the the scope. Um, and give that name of that scope one more time. It's an Elcon uh, made by uh, I think it's a armored. Uh, well, it's made in Canada. Okay, Canadian. Ooh, that's surprising. Yeah, Elcon, uh, and that's a Spectre DR, I believe, and that's the one. that's a flippable from one to four. It's not the twist. Mm-hmm. It's actually flippable. Okay. Right. This uh, a it's a prism scope, and it's very popular, and it is a high high priced item. Or it it it's built tough. It's built to withstand abuse, and they price it that way. So, gotcha. so it's a little pricey. I, <laughs> yeah, and the Elcon, they actually, um, uh, I believe that the M249s come with the Elcon scopes uh, originally. I believe so, the, the, the saws and stuff. And uh, I mean, it's used by the uh, U.S. military. But it's a, the reason why I like that scope is because it's, um, uh, you know, we're looking at the AK. AK is more of like a fighting carbine rather than the yeah. uh, line rifle so to speak you know and uh um you know, the alcon with its capability of a quick uh switch between one and uh and the um and four actually makes it uh um uh, kind of makes ak into a modern fighting carbine where you could uh uh use the uh red dot black dot capability of that radical mm-hmm. in close contact fight and the, the, on the top of it, Elcon is actually a really wide tube. It's not like you're looking through a tight, tiny little peephole, so to speak, or uh, or a small objective lens. It's more of like a um, it's a large tube. Gotcha. So you can flip it to four, and the ballistic radical there is for uh, it's got the BDC built into it for uh, two twenty three now out to about six hundred meters or so, uh, five point four five by thirty nine projectile uh, from that cartridge gotcha. actually ma- matches it um, uh, matches ballistics of 223 or 556 okay. uh, projectile uh, pretty closely so here's a, a couple of questions and we're talking <laughs> about um, sights and optics um, I mean obviously you're probably going to prefer an optic over your iron sights but I've got a couple of people here who are asking about how to sight how to sight in your iron sights, how to properly do that on an AK-47. Robin and Kurt are asking this. Okay. Um, The, um, okay, so all the sighting in the AK done in the front, front, um, uh, front post and front sight. Um, So obviously there's, uh, um, um, you know, elevation, which is, uh, your, your cleaning cleaning kit actually provides there's a there's a little piece in your uh, um, 
cleaning kit that actually has uh, a tool that would twist your post, and the post is threaded in. And uh, windage, uh, if you look at the uh, little indent there in front of your front side, you'll see there's a little hash marks there, right? If you look uh, right, look from the muzzle, um, from the muzzle right. there, right? And uh, see that there's a little indent there in the uh, block, right? And then you you would notice there's a hash marks there, and uh, I you know you don't I don't you use them only to mark once you side the gun up, then you can put a little maybe a dab or or, or a little scratch so you know which hash mark corresponds with the with the, with the little drum so the drum on, into which the uh, the front post of the front side actually uh, screws in it's movable but it's 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 the precious fitted right mm. so there are a bunch of tools that you can use i think tapco sells some there's one that's um like a uh, um i would say like a cadillac of all the tools um unfortunately i don't have it handy with me, but I think you can buy it through Krebs uh, Customs. Okay, uh, that's a great tool. So it's an actual or, AK front post site tool. Exactly, and it's like a universal tool. It's awesome. Um, uh, and you can use in in the field conditions. You can use a hammer and like a spent casing or any kind of like a cylindrical punch. Mm -hmm. I guess you can say. And uh, but you have to be very careful as to how much you're moving it and stuff. So basically, uh, trial and error, uh, error. See see where you shoot, you know, and then uh, make the adjustments uh, using your you know tools that you have available. Okay. The elevation just a simple screwing and up and down, but uh, and the, the windage the is windage, what you windage. Do. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. windage. You use a, a punch and a and a hammer. Okay. Or you can use a spam casing too. You know, you you know that goes to uh, adapting and and using your environment. You know what you have handy <laughs> in the field. Well, I, well, if you in the in the gunfight or in the field with the gun that's not shooting straight, I mean, there's something wrong. Yeah, you should have had that tuned in. Before yeah, you. it should have been done already. Right, right. So, what about the rear? The rear sights. The rear sight is it's just simply uh, adjusting for the range. Um, there's a P setting. Which is uh, a permanent, I guess, um, um, which is roughly about 300 meters or so. And then there's 100, 200, 300, 400, and so on and so on to 1,000 uh, meters. And um, uh, on early AK 47s, it was uh, to 800 meters. And then on the AKMs and the new modified rifles, they all went to a uh, a thousand meters, which is kind of like a optimistically, it was overly optimistic. I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> because at that distance, you, you you know you can't see a target. Your your you know your front post is covering it all. So uh, you might send, uh, you might pin somebody down uh, with a very low probability of hitting something. But um, you know, nevertheless, things do happen, and so you can at least provide a suppressive fire of some kind. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, actually marked for up to a thousand meters in the in the hundred meter increments. Now, do and you cover this in your book? Oh yeah, okay. All of that, is, all of that is my front uh, first book, uh, the uh, shooter's, shooter's guide, guide to the AK. AK. I was going to say, yep. um, guys, just go to Amazon, and Marco's book is there. It's under uh, Gun Digest: Shooter's Guide to the AK Forty Sevens, 
And, uh, I mean, he'll go into details there as well. Uh, but I'm sure that's a great book. That's one I've got on my list here. It's in my, it's in my basket right now. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I approached it, uh, when I wrote it, I approached it from point of like, a uh, obviously I'm, uh, by nature of the beast, so to speak, I'm, you know, always staying in touch with all kinds of, uh, AK collectors, mm -hmm. guys that, uh, go deep into, uh, history and, uh, looking at the right diameters, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of rivets, heads and things like that. And, you know, I was going to write a book that, uh, would appeal to those guys to put it on the bookshelf because they might learn something they didn't know from practical point of view. As well as someone that never seen the AK-47 and, or AK, AKM or AK-7, mm -hmm. AK gun in, in real life and only saw pictures or something. And then uh, all of a sudden they see the gun and then uh, by reading the book, they can actually uh, become an AK operator, so to speak. You know, they would know how to load Not it. Not until they take your training course, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, um, I've kind of reduced the number of training courses I offer now, and I, I do um, um, group courses mostly, and um, just a, one to highlight, I did the last January that I did for uh, Michigan National Guard mm -hmm. with the uh, full-time guys, not the, not the weekend warriors, and um, I'm doing another one for... Um, the whole platoon uh, platoon of soldiers. I don't know how I'm going to handle that. I'm usually trying to limit the class sizes to 10 to 12 people or something like that. Now I'm uh, actually on the 25th of this month. I'm going to have 40 guys. Uh oh, you might need to call in a, another instructor. <laughs> yeah, we will. We'll have plenty of people on on hand, and that's uh, what we call a foreign weapon familiarization class uh -huh. and, and uh, we'll have uh, several guns there we'll have the akms and ak-74s rpks rpk-74s pkms and uh and definitely an svd rifle oh man that'll be sweet class so you say there's like 40 people in that already though so it's full i'm sure oh yeah and well it's actually no no yeah it's it's all military personnel so can can people get in touch with you, website, social media, if they are interested in uh, getting some training from you? Yeah, I am on the Facebook. I'm on uh, both as a uh, behind lines um, training as well as just a Mark of Robia for Mark Robia. Um, but I don't advertise the training anymore. Oh, uh, got you. So I need to quit pushing that, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'll do it if and um, if the group decides to uh, invite me to their facility or me organize it for for a said group. I'll do it. Okay, uh, but we um, I try not to. Uh, I got you. There's nothing it. scheduled. Right, yeah. right. There's okay. no set schedule. So that book um, that came out in twenty around 2016, the uh, Shooter's right. Guide to the AK. And then you just came out just recently with the uh, survival and evolution of the world's most prolific gun, the AK-47. That's another gun digest, uh, I guess. Publisher? Are they yeah. the publishers? They're publishers, but it's outside of their uh, series of gun digests. It's just the same publisher. Yeah. And this book, uh, I mean, when I uh, when I written my first book, and I guess I got good reviews and uh, publisher decided to uh, go ahead and uh, give me another contract for a book that is deals uh, in detail with the, to, uh, with the history of AK and 
so on and so on. Uh, and um, I kind of like, a, I didn't take it in stride uh, to say, to put it politely. And I actually, actually had to wrap my brain around the subject. And then uh, once I kind of looked into it and uh, see outline what I'm going to talk in that book about, then, it, then, then sort of my path was clear to what I need to write about. So I, I go, uh, in that book, I go back to um, the roots of it, okay? So as a concept, and definitely not into 1943 or 42, mm-hmm. no. And, uh, and I make a, a distinct differential, I guess I differentiate, differentiate between term assault rifle, right? Mm-hmm. And what the AK is, an AK by Russian definition is automatic rifle, and this is a they, or Russians call it automat or automat. Right. All right. And um, the assault rifle that is, <laughs> I kind of will quote myself in there, and I you know I say that the AK is automat, and no matter what the Hitler like to call his gun or what the gun <laughs> grabbers would like. Uh, how much gun grabbers would like to misuse the assault rifle term, mm-hmm. and uh, so in in history, the, the history that I cover in the book, I go back beyond, way beyond. I go to 1906. Actually, oh, wow, okay, you're digging right. way deep. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I, I have to dig deep, and I go to um, actually uh, no, forget the Germans, forget the Germans before them forget too. The Germans. Yeah, 1906. There's a book that's been written by, uh, uh, at that time, he was just a captain, a Fedorov, a Russian Tsar's army officer, Mm -hmm. who who, um, coined the idea of having a lighter rifle that shooting a much lighter cartridge than uh, the rifle cartridges existed at the time, and that was capable of full automatic fire or select fire. And it was uh, also designated for some uh, frontline units, but not all. Just a spe- special shooting units, cavalry maybe, and so on and so on. And at the time, uh, Russia was uh, just coming out of disastrous war uh, with, with Japan. And uh, we're looking into um, um, World War One. So all that stuff was brewing. So it's kind of like a, he's written this book he's published it but there was no work or development work was done at the time not until 1916 when the federal actually built a gun and there was actually uh several tens of thousands that gun was actually built it was called the federal's aftermath and um, originally he wanted to develop a specific cartridge for it which is uh, uh he was he was a big fan of a 6.5 millimeter caliber. He was way right. before his time, isn't he? <laughs> right. Well, but then, uh, you know, obviously we know that Japanese main rifle Arisaka was uh, was 6.5 Arisaka. Yeah. And at the time, um, in 1916, Russia was already in the war. Um, again, was not going well for the Tsarist Russia at the time. So the resources were limited. And although he was actually proved the concept and the rifle was adopted. Uh, the new cartridge was not adopted. Mm-hmm. They just uh, they said we captured so much ammo from the Japanese early on, uh, Russo-Japanese war uh, of 6.5 Arisaka. 
and so the ammo was available and so he was kind of forced to build his automat to fire that particular cartridge which was a lot uh less i guess potent than uh, than the 762 by 54 r cartridge at the time yeah and uh so, so uh, they were just forced to use the resources they had Exactly. So they all are forced to come up with something not using the resources they didn't have. Yeah. Because everything, the war effort kind of ate up. All the about thing. money, yeah. Comes down yeah. to the almighty dollar. So in, the, the, in 1917, Bolsheviks came to power. They tried to issue those guns. They obviously captured all the arsenals, the bizarrest arsenals. They tried to get, issue those guns to the, uh, the troops, and then they just there were few, too many, uh, just too few of those guns available, and then it required uh, a decent kind of education and the technical background to operate them. Yeah, and then they scrapped the whole thing. And um, uh, well, that's a shame, yeah. right? So, but uh, the gun was still uh, used in 1940 during during the Winter War with Finland, and that gun was actually filled at filled it uh, was filled by uh, both the uh, Finnish soldiers as well as the Soviet Red Army soldiers on both sides but then eventually just kind of died out and went into obscurity mm-hmm. and the concept of uh, automatic rifle that fired the intermediate cartridge uh, obviously was revived it, 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 it technically it never went away from the uh, from the Soviet gun makers, never, it never, it was always there, it's always rotating, but they were kind of starting with developing the the proper ammunition for it first before they would build the uh, uh, the gun system or, or firearm system. Whereas Germans were developing their Kurtz, um, you know, eight millimeter Kurtz, so seven point, you know, nine. Kurtz cartridge, and of course, were the first ones who come up with the MP43, mm-hmm. which later was substituted by uh, or replaced by STG44 after Hitler found out about it. It was done in in secrecy. Of course, uh, they would not tell the Führer that <laughs> the they were work- <laughs> yeah that they were working on it because he was such a big fan of uh, K98 Mauser uh, that was uh, you know was prevalent during when he served in the military during World War One, uh, or had the roots at least. Uh, but and uh, and uh, so they had to do it secretly. And then, and then when they showed him how effective that gun was, then then he kind of they say and then it's again it's a myth that I'm, I cannot confirm or deny that he actually coined the term Sturmgewehr. Which pretty much means the storm rifle or assault rifle, and and you know, first of all, I don't think that he is the type of person that that should be remembered for anything but the (laughs) the the evil that he's done to the world. Right. But you know, we can't erase history either. You know, we have to. You know, the facts are the facts, and we need to you know teach them that way. Right. But then again, unsubstantiated rumors should not be assigned to somebody like this. He he absolutely. If it's if it's not proven, yeah, don't. Automatically yeah. It to it. yeah, he should be the last person. Now, uh, interesting thing. So the guy, Hugo Schmeisser, who actually de- designed, a lot of people um, kind of saying that, oh, he was this genius. He, he designed this freaking gun, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he helped Russians to design the AK. The funny thing is, like, uh, Hugo Schmeisser was a lot like a 
like Kalashnikov, only different. <laughs> he never went to school. He never. He wasn't an engineer. He never graduated from any freaking technical college. He learned everything he he knew about guns from working for his father at the at the arms factory. Uh-huh. Okay, hands on. So right, hands on kind of guy. He came up with this thing, and uh, obviously, is you know, one person never does anything you know pertaining to guns. It's always somebody designs this component somebody designs that component and uh, i mean conceptually you come up with a gun that should function this way and that way but uh, you know obviously the guy did not uh, he lacked the metallurgical expertise or lacked the actual structural expertise yeah. or the calculate dynamic loads of kinetic energy and all that stuff that's that what the eggheads are for man we just come up with the ideas <laughs> and let them handle that you know exactly <laughs> So it's the same thing goes uh, with the uh, with the Kalashnikov, you know. I mean, he didn't just. I mean, he had a concept, but he had to help all along yeah, the way. Yeah, he had to bring in experts in all those different kind of fields to make it feasible and make it actual working right. model. Yeah, right. And then you know, he was head of the team. It was his concept. It was his like a, a preliminary design, but it was never uh, you know just him Full doing it. Full on him, yeah. Yeah, and I think most people realize that. So, just in you know anything else that that gets developed and and produced is like somebody's got an idea, but you have to bring in all these other expertise fields to make it actually feasible and whether it'll work. Now, did you ever get to meet Kalashnikov? I sure did. I uh, talk about that. I met. Uh, yeah, it was in two thousand one. It's kind of a interesting story that will stay with me for the rest of my life for two reasons. One. Meeting a great guy, uh, you know, a really true legend um, in the firearms world. And two, it was happening while the Twin Towers were collapsing on uh, September 11th uh, in in New York. And um, so, yeah, we met met with Kalashnikov. We actually went to his uh, summer house and had dinner there with him we, well we didn't know what was going on in new york so we uh had a, this wonderful dinner we spent i don't know how many four or five hours um drinking a little vodka um you know eating delicious food and just talking uh, and he was a great uh, storyteller uh, and uh, i was yeah we asked him the questions he, he was like you know he would uh i cover all that in the in the book by the way oh, okay and, cool so he was, um, uh, you know, not a big fan of AK-74. He kind of let us know that that decision was kind of pushed on him. He told that the uh, 7.62 cartridge was still underdeveloped and had a potential. And um, But then at the same time, he was a big fan of uh, AKSU gun, which is, you know, it's a shorter version of, uh, of, uh, of AK-74. And it shoots 505 cartridge. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of really uh, complimenting that gun, but uh, but when asked directly, you know, he was against the AK-74. Well, it's just I, a thing of pride, I bet, too, huh? <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, you could, uh, you know, I mean, we're all humans. When We all have our own opinions and and, preferences, uh, yeah. Absolutely. And preferences, what we form our own opinion based on something. Like, for example, if you look at the AK-47 early models, there's a six-degree slant in the, in the, uh, the buttstock, um, butt right? We, which, to me, I mean, it goes back to, like, Mosin Nagan, 
which is really, I mean, as a sniper rifle, unless you're wearing one of those winter hats and stuff and you got this cheek pin, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, it's like really, really uncomfortable cheek weld and stuff, unless you're shooting through the iron sights. You yeah. know, so. And the AK also had that slant, and I just I can't stand it. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, why? Straighten it, make it even with the line of sight, mm-hmm. and make it ergonomically you know, correct. Yeah. yeah. His argument, and, and he was against straightening, you know, taking away the sixty degree slant. He was saying that, oh, you know, that forces uh, the the shooter's head up, and then he becomes a bigger target. And I was like thinking. How? <laughs> you still you're still putting your eyesight through the same uh, a side li- line of sight, right? You know, it just right now instead of chin weld, you have a cheek weld. Y- 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 you know, so you can sell him on it, though, right? <laughs> but he he you know he had some of this uh, things like that, and uh, and that's okay. You know, it's okay to disagree with someone uh, from the 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 point. You know. Uh, because we approach and form our opinion from different approaching it yeah. from different angles, like somebody from practical, somebody from conceptual. Well, I would say that and, he had the the win on that um, argument because he could say, "Well, I've got eighty million of my rifles floating around the the world. How well, many do you have?" <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, here we go. I mean, that brings me to an uh, actual point. Uh, he doesn't have uh, eighty million of AK seventy forty sevens out there. Majority of the guns that we now call AK forty seven is actual AKMs, and uh, stamp receiver with all the modernizations. And again, I cover that in the book. Sure, uh, all the modified uh, things and there's and no, numerous modifications that were done to uh, AKM as opposed to AK forty seven. There's very very few of AK forty sevens out there. Most of the rifles that you see on TV every day that people shoot at the range, most of them are, in fact, AKMs. And AKM had a straight buttstock. We didn't have the slant. So So do you prefer the uh, 7.62x39 or the uh, the 545? 545. 74? Every day and twice on the weekend. I personally think that, uh, and again, it's my personal opinion, and uh, you know, the haters out there or the w- witnesses of uh, uh, seven six two sect can hate me all they want, um, but I say that five four five was by far, by far better, and probably the closest to perfect uh, cartridge to, for fighting carbine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the recoil is not, and and. You know, we can sit here and debate this, and, and people say, well, you know, I mean, this cartridge is better, this cartridge is better, this penetration is better, the, it breaks the bricks better. But un- unless you fired full automatic, you, you have no foot to stand on because the gun was designed to fire full automatic. It wasn't yeah. a, suppression. If you, yeah, if you were, were going to, you know, if it's a semi-automatic plinker, then obviously it would have been designed differently. Like let's say SKS would be, and this is just probably one of the better semi-automatic rifles in seven in seven six two by thirty nine. But if you you look at it as a, from the point of view of someone who carries it in the combat, that's what this gun was uh, actually designed for. Absolutely. It's designed to 
as a battle uh, battle rifle. And if you fire the full auto, both 762 by 39 and 505 by 39, you you would see there's there's no comparison. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's no. I mean, they definitely display similar characteristics at one point, but one of them displays those negative characteristics a lot less. So you actually can put two rounds on the target um, with the 74, whereas in, in, in 7.62 by 39 is almost impossible. Right. I mean, it's a rarity. So what's so, uh, with current uh, military, Soviet military, what are they using currently? Um I got to correct you there a little bit. Uh, the okay. Soviet Union died as a country back in 1990. <laughs> okay, Russia. <laughs> so actually, actually more on current Soviet military. Uh, unless there's some kind of secret military that still exists somewhere inside in the snows. Of well, you Siberia. never know. There <laughs> might be, you know, an uprising, a civil war. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, guy, the guys that, like that Japanese dude in some island that never knew that the war was over. Yeah. And he was still guarding the post for 50 years or something like that. Yeah. But no, no, current Russia, uh, current Russian military, uh, actually, especially in the latest, uh, in the recent year, uh, years there were uh, uh, several uh, significant developments in, in the uh, firearm design for the current modern military. And although there's um, uh, three new guns that were introduced uh, and adopted for service recently, and it looks like one more gun will be adopted before two before the end of this year, they all chambered them. 505 by 39. And um what about the, and I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but I saw somewhere, I think Popular Mechanics um, did an interview with you and used one of your quotes. Uh, there's a new sniper rifle that they've got, the T5000, using the 338 Lapua. They, they stole that quote. They never interviewed me. So they uh, here's official, you know, throw in your face, you know. Yeah. You stole, you stole it from somewhere. You stole it from one of my... Uh, 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 firearm blog, firearm.com blog. Without uh, your permission? Well, fire, firearm news. I, I'm not sure if it's my place to give permission for this stuff or not. But, but the, well, if it's your quote and they're quoting you, then yeah, it's yeah. absolutely your place. But anyway, so fine. Yeah, T, um, yeah, Orsus T5000 is one of the bold guns, uh, highly accurized, uh, guns that were possible. Uh, because of the, you know, Russia kind of became free market economy and there's people, creative people, uh, went to work and they actually came up with this gun. And that's basically, it's, um, uh, highly accurized gun. By the way, they use the blanks, the, the, the barrel blanks from the U.S. They buy them from the U.S. So, okay. So, <laughs> so I don't know if they still do it unless they, or they've been, they've been, sanctions and stuff but anyway it it is very i mean it's nothing spectacular about that gun that we haven't seen before it's uh, accuracy international arctic warfare all those tikas and sacks yeah they were just talking about how um amazing it is and you know it's coming in and replacing their uh i guess the svds you know they're they're making us think that that's all they've been using all these years or as you know Antiquated no, sniper rifles, which we know that's not true. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's not true. It will never replace an SVD type of rifle, or, sh- or I should say, a semi-automatic sniper rifle. Yeah, they were comparing uh, apples and oranges in that that article. It, 
Exactly. And it, you know, the, the TE 5000 is more of like a anti terrorism when the, when the precise hits anti hostage type of uh, hostage taken um, uh, type of operations where precise uh, one shot, one kill matters. Mm -hmm. Just a, a fact, you know, Russia fielded a thousands, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of snipers during World War II. And obviously there were two types of guns available for snipers. Uh, more accurate, I guess, uh, Mosin Nagant 9130PU gun, which is the bold gun, right? And you had to load. It's a magazine gun, but because of the scope, you couldn't use the stripper clips. So you had to load one by one, five mm -hmm. rounds of it, and shoot and then load again. And uh, and then there was um, uh, SVT, Tokarev gun, which was less accurate, but it had a detachable 10-round magazine. Uh, even if the, you only had one magazine per se, but you had a pouch full of ammunition and stripper clips, you could still use those to load the magazine. Yeah. So, needless to say, you could reload a lot faster. So, the, the casualties of sniper casualties among the sniper corps uh, during the war was incomparable. Those who fought with the SVTs and could fight in the close contact fight after being discovered, after being assaulted, and then they can kind of fend off the, uh, the infantry by, you know, by quickly reloading semi-automatic gun versus those guys who shot the five shots and then they have to load it again and become a sitting duck, so to speak. So they were incomparable. It, it just, you couldn't compare them. It yeah. was a high, high rate on the, against the motion snipers uh, versus the uh, the SVT uh, per personnel that carried SVTs. And and just as a, as a historical fact, uh, the female Sniper, the most, I guess, celebrated sniper, um, uh, Ludmila Pavlichenko, they had a 302 kills, I believe. She originally uh, uh, was carrying the uh, Mosin Nagan gun, which I actually personally seen it. I've seen it in the museum. And uh, and then after uh, sustaining uh, uh, severe injuries, and then she returned, and she scored most of her hits with the, uh, actually, SVT-40 gun. Oh, so, wow. So so she switched and then uh, so anyway so here's the debate in in the uh, modern warfare uh, where you actually uh, you know it's mobile it's dynamic uh your uh, your battlefield can shrink from 400 meters to 50 meters or, or vice versa mm -hmm. you know uh, the the bold gun though more accurate and precise and you know Definitely has a has a place, but the semi-automatic gun uh, probably has an upper hand. Oh, and no so, yeah. and so the T five thousand is adopted by uh, so you know Russian, I guess the the Russian um, special forces, uh, more like anti-terrorist units. Sure, that fighting those more of a specialty uh, kind of gun. Yeah, right. Uh, fighting the insurgents in in the, uh, the in the ISIS operatives in Chechnya and okay. in Cauc in Caucasus Mountains. Yeah, well, I saw that quote and I wanted to ask you about that because you know, like, <clears throat> I was reading that article and I was like, and it's just like they just kind of copied and pasted that out of somewhere else because it didn't seem like that they had actually spoken to you. And then I also saw it 
borrowed, I guess, uh, in another article. Of course, it was a left-wing article, and they were saying about how uh, how you said that the NRA was uh, supporting Russian snipers or so. I don't know. It's some bullshit. So I just what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, news uh, news to me. I you mean, can those, Google it. It's uh, I'll find the article and I'll send it to you. You'll, is it written by something called Medium or something? Yeah, it's it's Medium. obviously a left a lefty, you know, with ulterior motives. That's just picking and choosing well, quotes. They for, need to, yeah, they need to stop doing it, or uh, they're not going to. They're not, unfortunately. But well, uh, I mean, no. When you start misquoting people and using. Uh, uh, people's um, names and stuff oh like yeah that. yeah and that's up to you you gotta i'll show i'll send it to you and i want you to you know give them up and down about it definitely yeah yeah well we'll look at it okay but anyway okay. so russia did develop another uh, semi-automatic gun uh it's called a svh um which is uh, more like a, a more upgraded to the module derivative of uh, uh dragon sniper rifle but it's a little bit more of, uh, in the mo- within the modern uh, parameters, I guess. Uh, so you can use a different optics and things like that. And, right. But uh, yeah, there's catch it up with stuff. the times. Catch it up with the times. Right. Very good. All right, guys. Uh, so I, we answered some of your questions there. Uh, he gave some great answers. I think that'll probably answer a lot more of the questions that we had that some of you guys had had asked. Um, but you can, you can go ask Marco himself, go to his, uh, is this Instagram? You got an Instagram? No, I Facebook. don't. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of like a, uh, handicapped in that department and, uh, by choice, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am too. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if you got something specific, uh, let me know and I'll get in touch with him. Talking late at gmail.com. You guys got questions, comments for, uh, our upcoming guests, our upcoming shows, suggestions for the shows i know you've uh, you've sent several things you'd like for us to discuss uh, the makarov pistol is one that you guys want us to talk about so we definitely uh, we'll do that in an upcoming episode uh, and then we're going to get more into different optics and uh, optic mounting solutions uh, that's going to be an upcoming show that we're going to do as well but now it's time to give away that ak you guys have been waiting so patiently on we're going to give away a pioneer arms AK Hell Pup, and it's going to have a custom Cerakote job from our buddy Tucker at Blackout Cerakote Customs. And they've been in anticipation, CJ. They didn't know which one they were going to get. We've posted the pictures from from Tucker. Is it the red one? Is it the green one? Is it that uh, that other one? We don't know. We don't know. So tell them about the, uh, the AK Hell Pup that they're going to get, and then we'll tell them who the winner is. All right, well, the one we're giving away today is uh, we're giving away the, the red-striped one uh, that we've had painted. The green one is uh, Classic Firearms. If you go to Classic Firearms, they're actually going to be giving away the green one on their site. So you can go there and register to win the green one that they have. There you go, guys. Uh, giveaway. You know, one of the things that we've that we've got about these AKs and stuff is, is, is we've got a lot of pride put into them. And, and um, you know, if there's any issues or anything else, which we haven't had any, well, I take that back. We had a guy that tried to switch his trigger out and didn't do a very good job, so we've done a repair on that. Um, we really haven't had any issues with the guns or anything else, and we've got we've got well over five thousand on the market. Um, but I just want to let the people know that you know we we totally back this gun up a hundred percent to take care of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, any issues there are with it? You know, the guns made a hundred percent in Poland. 
we've expanded our uh, CNC machines. Uh, so we're going to start making uh, a few more guns at the beginning I of the year. I got a message from Mike uh, the other day. He said that they've been busy in uh, installing some new machinery. So I was excited to hear that. So they're going to kick up production. Right. We're actually we're actually in the first of the year. All of our Hell Pistols um, will have the will have the back trunnion on them that's already adapter ready, and we're making the adapters also so that you can put I'm the folding stock glad on. Glad you the- brought that up because we have a question uh, regarding that too. Um, you know, you and I have talked about it. The, the existing ones, you know, what people need to do if they want to add those. There's a couple of different things that you can actually do if you want to make it an SBR. Of course, the legal way, getting your tax stamp and everything done for an SBR, that tab on the back of the trigger well, on the back of the uh, the pistol uh, that re- you know that's replacing here in the trunnion, you can actually take that off, and then if you have if you have your proper paperwork and everything else, then a polymer stock will fit in there so tight that you don't have to rivet you know rivet it. We actually have polymer stocks in our kits that'll do that. Yeah, you know that's to make it an SBR. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and do a brace or something else on that, you know that's that's going to require some work of actually taking out the trunnion and everything else. And guys, you got to understand the reason that we have this is a we brought this pistol in uh, to try to hit a niche in the market so we could have an inexpensive, good quality gun out there for you. Once you start, once we started adding the trunnion and everything else, once we first started doing the manufacturing phase of it, putting that rear trunnion on it, you know, that's a substantial price because of the uh, time it takes to put it in it and then the actual part itself. But now that we are manufacturing the parts uh, ourselves totally to include that rear trunnion, be able to go ahead and have that gun so it'll be brace ready coming out around the first of the year. And it's not going to cost you anything else. We're still going to have that same Very price. Cool. You know, it, it just wasn't frugal to try to do it at the beginning because it was going to cost us more for the parts. And then we were going to bring the price of the gun up. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted to keep hit that area where we're at in the market. Very cool. So something to look forward to from Pioneer Arms. And uh, you guys that uh, were you know, had the question about putting the braces on there, there you go. Um, you probably want to get a, a, a good gunsmith to do that for you so it's done properly. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to get you're going to have to order a, a solid rear trunnion for that to be able to to get it drilled and put on. I mean, we are actually we'll actually have some of those around the first of the year that we'll be selling. Um, and I'll I'll get some to the show here that uh, you can give out some stuff, especially the customers and stuff that we get guns to. I'll make sure that we get those rear trunnions to that if they want to go ahead and modify modify their guns for that, but. Yeah, definitely, definitely get a gunsmith to do it, and uh, you know, don't beat your ha- gun up with a hammer and then send it back to me <laughs> saying, "Hey, you know, this this yeah. is, is AKs fine. are tough, but just don't beat them just to be beating them." Yeah, yeah, you know, especially if you don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah, it's it's dangerous, and uh, and we don't recommend that being done without a without a certified gunsmith on it. Hey, to, to get back on the other thing here, um, yeah. You know, we, we were talking about doing the gun giveaway and everything else. And you know what's one of my favorite places that I like to stop to across when I go across country is Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup, New Mexico. <laughs> so that being said, I think that plays right into Jonathan, does it not? It, it does. Jonathan Gallup, also known as Giddy Up, because you have just basically dominated the uh, social media with all your posts, all your shares, all your likes. Uh, I mean, I think hands down, and you other guys uh, will agree, I mean, you see 
Jonathan everywhere on our social media. Uh, he's also interacting with you guys, asking questions, getting <coughs> conversations going, and that's what we want to see. So, giddy up. Congratulations, buddy. You just won the Blackout Cerakote Customs Pioneer Arms Hell Pup AK-47. That's a mouthful. <laughs> you know, and I, I think I have a couple. We, we had like 10 T-shirts made. Oh, yeah? And I, might have, I might have one of those rare T-shirts uh, laying around that I could throw in there also. Very nice. So, guys, participation pays off. Uh, if, if you want to know what he did, just go to our <laughs> social media and you'll see him everywhere. Uh, Pierce, you, you've done an excellent job. Uh, Jerry Black, John Adams, uh, all you guys are still doing great. Big Papa, uh, Ezekiel E, you guys have been doing phenomenal. Keep it up. We still have a boatload of AKs to give away, guys. So there's still plenty of opportunities for you leadheads to, uh, to own one of these beautiful AK-47s from Pioneer Arms Corps. Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and uh, the the little oil bottle that Marco was talking about earlier in the show with the oil and the solvent in it. Your uh, AK kit's going to have it. It's going to have your magazines, your cleaning rod. It'll uh, it'll also uh, I'll dig out one of these T-shirts and we'll have that in there. Hey guys, it's been great being on the show. I really love the participation and stuff that's going on. I like to pride myself on the customer service and stuff we have here. Uh, we may not be the uh, most pleasant talking individuals when you get to talk to us. Uh, we really don't have a lot of social skills, but we will uh, make sure we take care of your gun if there's any issue. So, Very good. so I just want to make sure we put that out there. All right. So big thanks to CJ. Um, like I was saying, you guys make sure you go and Pioneer Arms USA and thank them for making this show possible. And uh, all the the awesome guests that we have, the giveaways that they're doing, and just the fact that they're bringing this awesome platform to America. You know, they're one of the few that are importing those in and and doing the the quality AK-47s. All right, congratulations, Giddy Up! You uh, you definitely exemplified what we are looking for as far as participation goes with this uh, this AK Corner segment that we're doing. And uh, you guys can take notes from from Giddy Up. Just kind of go back to all his comments and everything he's done on not just the AK Corner, but our regular show, the Talking Lead Podcast, as well. I mean, he is all over the place. So uh, it just made sense that Giddy Up would win this this special one that we're giving away. And as CJ said, I mean, there 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 could be another one uh, coming up, another special giveaway coming up in some later episodes. But uh, uh, Marco. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on. We greatly appreciate it. Um, if you get get the opportunity, we'd love to have you on again sometime too. Oh, sure. And thank you for having me. And I hope I could, uh, you know, answer some questions and stuff. Like I said, I'm always open. And uh, if you have a, I'll be glad to come out and talk guns some more. And, okay. You know, and, uh, you know, it's always, it's much better than uh, doing other stuff. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's okay. Better than real work, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, Marco is going to give one of his books away. Which book are you going to give away, Marco? Uh, the latest one is the AK-47, uh, The Survival and Evolution. Okay, very cool. Um, so we're going to go through and just randomly, uh, I'm going to go through, oh, let's go, let's go to Facebook. And I think, I think we should give that to Pierce. I think Pierce uh, W. Taylor, because he had several questions 
that he had posted for you, and we only read a couple of those, but I think, you know, with your explanations, you, you covered a lot of them. So, Pierce, shoot me an email, talkingletgmail.com. That's Pierce W.J. Taylor, and we'll get you a copy of Marco's uh, book there. So, thank you so much for that. Uh, you guys, as always, make sure that you support those that support the Talking Lead podcast. Pioneer Arms Corp, making this show possible for you leadheads every month. Check them out. Pioneerarms-pac.com is their website. And, of course, they're on the social medias as well. Oh, uh, just to, to mention something, uh, uh, we are working on bringing uh, a Tula ammunition in as well as a Surgeon Major ammunition. Oh, okay. It's com- yeah, it's coming in, uh, starting to come in uh, next month. Oh, nice. And uh, so we would also would like to maybe, uh, once the ammo hits the uh, the ground here, um, we would uh, love to uh, maybe uh, donate a, ca- a case or two for giveaways as well. That would be awesome. So, yeah, we so. will definitely, once that ammo hits, get in touch with me, and we'll have you on, and then you can, you can give it a plug, and then we'll pick a lucky winner to get some ammo. That would be great. Heck I'd love yeah. to do that. That's awesome. Thank you for that, Marco. That's, that's very cool. So, Leadheads, keep those suggestions. Keep your interactions with us going on. We're going to continue to give away AKs. We're going to be giving away items from people who are on the, our guest of our show, like Marco just gave away one of his books. Uh, we got some ammo uh, that we're going to be doing in upcoming. I know we've got some accessories and parts from uh, some other upcoming guests, future guests. Um, that we're going to be giving away to you leadheads as well. So uh, the more you participate, the more you share this, the more people you get involved with it, the bigger and greater the show's going to be, and so are the givebacks. So, again, thanks to my host, Schwell. Schwell had to jump off, um, but he will be back next month with me for another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner presented by Pioneer Arms Corp.